Welcome to Multicultural Minds, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness of multicultural mental health. My name is Emily Unity, and I will be your host. Thank you for being here with us and listening to voices that are often not heard. Our guest today is Sandeep Varma. He's the founder and CEO at Sari Collective, a media startup and community for South Asian Australians. He's also a former speechwriter and lawyer and is passionate about amplifying diverse voices through creative ways. This podcast contains trigger warnings about depression, culture, and religion. Thank you so much for being here today, Sandeep. How's your morning been? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was just um, ironing out lots of things. I think I have um, like quite a number of things on my plate, um, but I did get some amazing feedback on a creative piece of writing. So I was nice. very happy to receive that. Um, it was sort of something I uh, hadn't done in that vein, but a medium that I love. Uh, it was nice to be able to kind of put something out real into the world and, and actually get feedback to say that it wasn't terrible because that's always the fear of every writer, you know? <laughs> yep. And the secret fear of every writer who is also even well-established is that like they'll lose the mm-hmm. magic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. no matter how many good things you've done. And so, and it actually is a funny foray into kind of mental health, right? Because that is kind of the, that notion of imposter syndrome, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of creative people have such intense imposter syndrome as well. Hmm. A lot of my writer friends are worried about like having a limited source of writing juice and then at yes. some point they're just going to run out and they don't know what that is. Yeah, absolutely. But that's an amazing segue into who you are, um, how you feel like maybe you have some imposter syndrome tucked in somewhere because to be quite honest with you, you're a very impressive human being. And so it's it's humbling, I think, to hear that you have imposter syndrome as well. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, I guess I can introduce myself. I mean, my name is Sandeep Varma. Uh, I identify as a South Asian, but my mm. identity is a bit more complex than that because um, mm. I grew up in the US um, and then I've been in Australia for about 20 years and I've had a, a number of careers um, in that time, which we can go into. Um, but I identify in that way as uh, both a South Asian and an Australian and as an American. And mm. I hold you know, citizenships across those, as well as a person who, if I identify myself in terms of what I do, um, I'm uh, a partner and a father and a writer um, and someone mm-hmm. who loves words and someone who uh, is at, at his core a kind of a creative person um, mm. and an artist and someone who also believes deeply in social justice and trying to make an impact with others. Um, and in terms of my roundedness, like very much, um, you know, by no means any kind of, <laughs> I don't ascribe greatness to myself in any means. I just think that um, I was lucky and fortunate to be raised in the way that I, I was, despite the ups and downs of that experience, mm. um, and was given a lot of privileges and benefits uh, beyond others. And so, um, for better or worse, there's a mentality, and it comes, I think, from having migrant parents and then being a migrant mm. myself now um, of, you know, to who much is given, much is expected. Mm-mm. And, and as a result, I think I felt always that um, I had a lot given to me and I had a lot to give and had a kind of clear sense of that I wanted to make things happen. Otherwise mm. I would be subject to the world kind of just unfolding in a way that didn't align with me, but I always felt different. Mm. Um, in the context that I was in. 
Um, but a lot of that resonance comes from, you know, whether it's in a spiritual sense or whether it's, I mean, I was raised Hindu um, and still believe in many of the principles on there, if not for the not necessarily the organized religion aspects of it. But um, there's much about that that is different than the Western approach to the journey that you're on in life. Mm. Um, and I can touch on that in a bit and explain what I mean by that in, in a minute. But um, by way of intro, I think uh, there's that kind of spiritual dimension to myself that mm. rounds things out. And there's an idea that, um, you know, of, of giving and of service um, that was modeled by my, my parents um, and an idea also, I believe, in of community. So if I could describe myself in terms of my values, like the two strongest ones are clearly creativity and community. Mm. Um, um, and so that has also been a very much of a journey of uh, uncovering those, realizing them, going in and out of them, running away from them, coming back to them, <laughs> um, and then finding my way. And so, so through that journey, I think the starting point was the, the family structure and the way and the community and the culture in which I was raised. Um, mm. And in that, there was a lot of um, imposter syndrome. There's a lot of, um, I guess, comparison and talk yeah. about others and what others were doing. There was a lot of, um, you know, community-based views. So kind of externalizing what was valuable um, right. at a discount a little bit, to, even though it was a sp very spiritual kind of, uh, you know, Hindu community, I guess. Um, there was less of an emphasis on that in an interior journey um, that was talked about as equivalent in value to the external markers of success. Mm -hmm. And that is very much a migrant experience, right? Trying to establish yourself, become you know, financially successful, get a job that's really mm -hmm. good. Um, but I think the thing that comes out of that for me is like, and I'm a lover of stories and always have been, mm -hmm. and is like the story that you can tell at the expense of the story that you tell yourself. Yeah. Um, or the story that is true to you. And sometimes there's a real dissonance or like disconnect, right, between the story that you want to be seen to be telling, um, but the story that you feel like you really want to tell. Absolutely. I, oh my gosh, there's so much there that I would love to unpack with mm. you. Thank you so much for that very beautiful introduction. I think the first thing that I want to highlight is I, I really love how you were talking about finding something that you love, running towards it, running away, running back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I feel like the journey of identity is much like that. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people conceptualize it as being very straightforward, but it's not a lot of the time. And particularly for people that sort of sit between multiple cultures as well, like that's mm -hmm. a very complicated process. I wanted to ask, I personally identify as Southeast Asian mm -hmm. and I've never heard the term South Asian before. Could you explain that a little bit? So I identify as South Asian, and that is different than Southeast Asian. So South Asian is um, a term that a lot of people use to describe like uh, the Indian subcontinental area. Mm. And the reason that we use South Asian as distinct from Southeast Asian is because of the cultural affinity and the history of that region. Okay. Um, and that means that that was the area that was sort of pre-colonial India um, right. and was taken over by the British. And... Uh, and then the British carved out some of the nation states, for example, partition between India and Pakistan. Mm. Um, and they separated out because, you know, colonialism likes categories. So they wanted neat things. Muslims are here. Non-Muslims are here kind mm. of thing. Um, equally, other countries all in that same region had the effect of that. And so we term the term South Asian is not to deny that there's individual languages and subgroups. But for example, in India, there's already 330 languages spoken. Yeah. 
to say that any place is kind of a country and brand it as such when it's such a collection of different micro ecosystems of culture and community and language and history and South Asian kind of reclaims this identity of that broad pervasive sense of who we are um, mm. uh, divorced from nation states and it, it also talks speaks to the fact that there's actually more unity than there is divisiveness and that we have these patterns of division, for example, India, Pakistan being one of them, um, mm. that we as another generation or as a new group are trying to um, kind of unlearn or not emphasize. Um, and South Asia, because India is the biggest obviously, country with the most population, is all dominant in discourse. Um, we think the idea of saying, I'm Indian, um, can be problematic for other people who are disadvantaged in that dialogue mm. where they don't have enough of a voice. Um, and so for me, like the idea of South Asian as a unifying term, as a term that connects me to the broader diaspora and a term that breaks down barriers is really apt and, and personal and important to me. And I think mm. it's important to many others. So in Australia, the term South Asian is not very well known. Mm -hmm. um, and it is sort of growing. There's, if you looked at the South Asian population in Australia, it's over a million people. Yeah. Um, by some counts, up to 1.3 million. So if you group South Asians as a group, they would be close to, if not yet, the largest minority in Australia, mm. um, or at least will be in the next couple of years. Thank you so much for explaining that. It's so great to not just understand how you prefer to identify, but also the reasoning behind your language. And I think, you know, reclaiming a term that for you means unity and diversity is such a wonderful thing. And I think it's a very powerful sentiment and definitely a movement that is much needed to break down those you know those sort of labels and distinctions that were put yeah. upon us by people that are not necessarily of our culture mm. so I really want to celebrate that and I was wondering with you being South Asian and Australian and American how have you sort of found I guess the balance or sitting in that in between I think it's it's always been a negotiation. There, there's a framework of thinking around South Asian identity. So I did a master's thesis in this topic nice. on um, South Asian identity in the media and South Asian identity with young people and how they conceptualize that. And there's this idea of um, kind of caught between two worlds, like not good enough to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. So maybe I wasn't good enough to be fully American, um, but maybe I wasn't good enough to be fully either Indian or South Asian as well, because I was born, I, I grew up in a different country, you know, um, despite speaking Hindi and, and knowing the culture. Um, I was never Indian enough, you know. Right. Um, and so I think there's this framework and that tension that we feel, and you talked about coming in and out of identity. I think there's a lot of like struggle you go with. You either accept and dive into your identity, but then it becomes problematic for certain reasons, or a community has a lot of issues. For example, in our community, it's very patriarchal. Um, there's not a lot of discussion about mental health. There's not a lot of discussion about sexism, um, racism in the ways that there could be. And so uh, you have both love for your culture in some senses, or harmful experiences, or maybe both um, in your own community, in your own culture, and you want to kind of accept parts of that, but not accept parts of that. And you look at it from yeah. the outside. And because you're in a Western context, you have the comparator of it, of the broader culture. You know, for me, growing up, that was an American culture. And now it's Australian culture. And and those cultures provide a contrast. But also you want to take some things from that culture that you find mm. great. You know, For example, <laughs> I love, I grew up vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And then um, through funny circumstances, started kind of, uh, was at a party and was kind of, you know, challenged to eat meat with a blindfold and then ate meat. <laughs> 
for the first time and then oh. realized that I sort of liked it and started doing it um, a fair bit, like eating meat. Mm. And now I love kind of Texas barbecue, like slow cooked barbecue. Nice. And I'm actually kind of a, a barbecue judge and I do have a <laughs> smoker and I'm really obsessed by it, really into it. And so like that is, I'm the only South Asian person I know who does that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that for me, like, I, I just love that stuff. And so for me, it's very much a question of then, how do I take the idea of like, I'm not good in either space and I'm mm, just this mm. person caught out. Um, uh, there was a, 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 an acronym that was used called um, ABCD. Right. And um, I don't know if you've heard this, but yeah. it is. Um, so in America, it was American-born confused Desi, Desi being someone from India or South Asia. Um, right. In Australia, it was the same thing, Australian-born confused Desi. Uh, it was the title of my master's thesis. And um, and yeah. so it was this idea of confusion, right? Of like, I'm confused. I'm not sure what I am. I'm not sure where I am. And, that, and then you have to go on this journey of discovering yourself. And many people don't, or they may just stay in that confused state. Mm. Um, and for me, navigate identity was like, I actually dislike that phrase. And I think... I what I would do is change it to say like Australian born creative Desi. Like what can I draw on from nice. both sides of my culture and actually create something new in the world, which is like a whole new identity yeah. that is unique and different and draws on, you know, two cultures in the ways that I've, I'm knowledgeable about those cultures and engages with them enough to kind of construct and shape and form that identity. And that for me, hundred percent is a creative process. Like you have to, do that you have to tear it apart look at it what it means engage with it try different things come back to it you know steal pieces of identity from others that <laughs> you see from movies from pop culture from friends from wherever um and that that stealing is like stealing like an artist it's like a creative process and so i think creating creativity is really important articulating identity exploring it grappling with it negotiating with it being beaten up by it coming back to it um is something that every person who's that kind of navigating those migrant identities deals with but i think you know there's the idea of you can be more than the sum of your parts that you can take the best of both worlds um doesn't solve all your problems but gives you kind of a north star that's different than saying mm. you're just confused and caught between the two um and i um initially when i wrote academically i i, mm -hmm. I like the idea of like light particles in quantum physics which yeah. means that they are both um or like, you know, a qubit, which is like a particle that's both a one and a zero at the same mm -hmm. time, or a light, which is both like a wave and a point in physics, or any kind of idea. Um, they say like puns are like that, where a word can mean two things at the same time. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great way to describe it. Um, or anything that is about being more than a binary, right? Being, yes. being something that rises up and emerges beyond that and draws the best of both to create something new. Absolutely. Oh, oh my gosh. Again, so many things I would love to speak with you about. I really love that gray area. You can be both and not subscribe to like one particular thing and not be boxed in by these labels. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a child of like a refugee and a migrant. They're from two different backgrounds and I was born in Australia. So I've never felt like I fit in anywhere. And it's really yeah. nice to like break out of that binary and really take control of your narrative. And I feel like you've really mm. done that with your storytelling, with that focus on finding your own way through a not necessarily a traditional sense, but mm. finding creative ways to develop your own story and your own identity. Mm. So that I'm, I'm a mental health professional and something that I'm very passionate about is peer support. Yeah. And a lot of peer support at the moment is centered around like clinical peer support. Like you put mm. 
people that have lived experience of certain diagnoses with people that have the same diagnoses and that's termed peer support but I feel like it can be spread like so much further and wider and there's a lot of informal peer support that's absolutely mm. life-changing and has been catalyzing for me in my recovery journey and I feel like you've created yeah. that at Sari. Yeah we have you know I'll give you a, an example of exactly that I mean I think it's a it's a it's a really good principle that um, you know people can connect with each other and support each other through it. And oh, last year, in fact, there's a travel ban that the government instituted when COVID was at its worst, um, a travel mm-hmm. ban for India. So people from India, even Australian citizens were stuck there, couldn't come back and no one could go there, obviously. And um, COVID was raging through India. It was really bad. The idea was that everyone in Australia who was South Asian had family back there in India, had um, were isolated international students who were stuck here, um, people whose family members were sick or dying or people didn't know what was going on and just knew it was bad. Um, and the lack of kind of communication, the lack of infrastructure, all those things led you to this feeling kind of survivor's guilt and feeling really cut off and feeling like there's nothing you can do. Um, and that was very difficult for our community. So we actually engaged a psychologist named Anushka to um, do a number of free group therapy sessions mm. online for South Asians who were struggling because what we found is we have a directory of South Asian mental health professionals on our mm. website. Um, and there's a number of other directories in other places that are really good. Um, but we did so because there's very few, I think, um, places you can go to get kind of culturally relevant or tailored support as a South Asian from someone who kind of gets your cultural context. And you don't have to do a lot of explaining about different ways that a culture can operate. Um, mm. There's an assumed kind of understanding to a certain degree. Um, and so... Uh, and that example was a perfect one where, you know, if you talk to a psychologist who didn't have any family overseas or especially hadn't gone through a migration experience, it was a very different experience um, than talking to someone who knew what that was like mm. um, and could guide you through that from a kind of almost a lived exp- experience, but also could provide the frameworks of, of how that can kind of work from an empathetic point of view. And so we set up these sessions and a number of people um you know, joined in mm. and it was facilitated by a professional, um, you know, professional psychologist, but they found incredible solace in just hearing each other's experiences and, mm. and, and knowing they weren't alone mm-hmm. um, mm. and knowing that other people were struggling. And it wasn't about solutions necessarily. Yeah. Um, the advice was more along, you know, think about what you can control in your day to day. It was just about kind of mental frameworks for how to navigate Mm. difficulty and change and isolation. Um, And that, you know, oftentimes when we're at those worst periods that we shut ourselves in, but that is the time to kind of reach out a bit more. So the people that came were quite brave and courageous to be vulnerable in that space Uh, Mm. and that made a big difference to the people that were there because um and we actually talked about afterwards and we were able to feel like we made a difference to the people in our community at the time where they were the most struggling Mm. and able to provide a little bit of insight and support and guidance but that they themselves were able to initiate those conversations with each other and some of those conversations led to people connecting offline um, and supporting each other or even just you know having a kind of a check-in base um and just to put words to what people are feeling sometimes is the most important mm. thing. Um, and to hear that others are going through the same thing makes you feel like, hey, I'm not alone in this space. So I 100% agree that uh, peer-based support um, in the mental health space is is vital. Um, mm. If nothing else, at the very first stage, it, just makes, it breaks down a barrier for you. And if you see others 
being vulnerable. It encourages your own vulnerability and that encourages you to speak on your feelings and that starts the journey of working through them. Mm. Um, it's not a quick fix. It's not a problem solve, but at least it, it overcomes that initial hurdle, that initial um, anxiety and that worry that you feel by being isolated, um, especially in that type of scenario that we had last year where you're you know, as cut off from your own mm. family or your own country. Oh, I resonate with that so much. You know, that there's so much culture, particularly in Australia, of saying it's okay not to be okay, but then no one's actually mm. demonstrating that we're, we're here and it's not okay and mm. we're role modeling and demonstrating vulnerability yeah. and in doing so, implicitly creating safe spaces to actually share your story. And I think yeah. that's amazing that you were able to provide a space and then bring in people that don't try to necessarily fix people, but instead provide tools and frameworks, like you said, to actually have the options to navigate the world in a slightly different way. I think that giving the opportunity to connect with like-minded people is invaluable. And a funny riff on the safe space idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you find this in in your community, in your culture, but like in in South Asian culture, especially like where I grew up in Indian culture, like um, you're always told what to do. You know, like you're always like some uncle, auntie, you know, yeah. father, mother, cousin, blah, whatever is, is always like, oh, this is the way you should do it, beta. You know, like this yeah. is the way, this is what you should do. You know, go get a degree, become an, uh, an accountant or whatever. Like, um, you know, this is the way, like um, focus on your studies at the expense of everything else. Like, yeah. just, like the, you just get like advice overload. You know, mm-hmm. and and unqual like people are completely unqualified <laughs> to give any kind of advice. Like they just like we are as a community and as a culture. Like, um, and I read this somewhere, and I can't remember the quote, unfortunately, but it was brilliant. It was just like you know saying that um, if there were, it might have been even a meme. It was like you know if there was an award for a, a community or culture that loved just giving advice all the time <laughs> and never following it, it would be our community and culture. Um, and this comes back to something I mentioned before, like. Uh, the kind of spiritual aspect, the journey. So the the purpose of your life in a Hindu context Mm -hmm. is not, you know, the same as a Christian context, which is Mm -hmm. Western countries, right? So Christian context is, you know, live a good life and um, and do the right thing and you end up in heaven. So there's a sense of judgment on top of that. And then you kind of end and you kind of are on this like trajectory. So Mm -hmm. the, the emphasis is on kind of action, and the doing of things. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Hindu outcome is completely different. It's um, it's about understanding because the nature of Hindu thought is about reincarnation and cycles. Mm-hmm. So that you end up in a cycle of life and the purpose of your life, because you will be reincarnated most likely, is to release yourself from kind of bad karma that you've accumulated through both previous lives and this mm-hmm. life as a result of your decisions. And so the the, the means to do that is not you know, do more good things because you can never undo what happened in your past life necessarily. Mm. The means to achieve nirvana or spiritual freedom from even the cycle itself is better understanding and better understanding of the world, better understanding of yourself. Mm. And, and the spiritual dimension is that, you know, you are a, it's kind of pantheistic, which means that God is everywhere and that you are an mm. aspect of God inside, like your soul's journey that it's on is about getting to a better understanding of who you are and yourself and the way to exist in the world. And I think that is a very different outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, it does lead to the fact that like in South Asia and in India, for example, you, you see people in temples like being, and they, the world talks about places like India is incredibly spiritual. And yet there's like vast amounts of poverty. And like, you mm-hmm. see it, like you go to a temple, it's beautiful. People spend millions of dollars creating this thing and everyone goes in and out. And yet next to it, there's like, 
belligerent poverty yeah. everywhere surrounding you. And it's like, how can we choose our spiritual journey over the expense of our earthly journey? Mm-hmm. And and this comes back to what we talked about before as well around, you know, picking the best of both and kind of choosing mm-hmm. uh, how to be in the world and a kind of a creative response. And mine is actually drawn. I went to a Catholic high school, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and my journey, I guess, drawn a little bit from the knowledge that I gained from that uh, about you know, how to take action in the world, how to be compassionate, how to um, do, you know, as they say, the good work, mm. you know, um, out in the world and make make the difference and alleviate poverty in that way. Married to, you know, my own, like, spiritual tradition growing up of being Hindu and that being about deep understanding um, mm. and self-knowledge and knowledge of the world and knowledge of, like, um, you know, an equilibrium that you're trying to reach or uh, an understanding of your own history, your family's history, their mm. family's history, uh, to understand where your karma comes from. That's generational kind of this idea of almost intergenerational trauma, mm. intergenerational mm. storytelling and understanding like what has happened in the past and history in order to be able to affect um, better understanding and insight and a different mode of operating in the future. So you make different decisions because you understand things differently. Um, and those better decisions lead to better karma, which lends you to like release eventually from the cycle of reincarnation. Um, and so, I, yeah, my belief in that is kind of it's a it's a mix of both. It's mm-hmm. like the taking of actions, but it's also the understanding. And I think that that um, that is a really important idea. It's a it's a way that to bring those two things together. But it's also very much a um, a, a way to that mental health is kind of um, conceived of in my view, like community building and supporting mm. other people is about those two things together. Cause otherwise, if you just have understanding, then you're just kind of reading books <laughs> and sitting there and meditating all day. Um, whereas you need to kind of affect change in the world. And that maybe that's a personal value or worldview, but I think marrying those two things um, for me is like the definition of how you can create impact. That speaks absolute volumes to me. I have a lot of lived experience of like engaging with, um, you know, traditional support services, particularly with mental health that like are not focusing at all on the understanding. They're only focusing on like the let's do, let's fix. And mm. I'm sort of being weirdly like taken hostage in this like weird treatment journey that I don't understand what's being done to me. And therefore yes. I'm not actually being healed in the way that I need to be. Um mm. And I wonder, how could you explain that to a mental health professional that's so entrenched in like clinical work? So I have, you know, uh, much experience in seeing psychologists for my own mental health. Um, I've ex- lived experience of depression um, a number of times. Um, and this is very particular to me, maybe, um, is about how I'd like to receive information and how I like to be told things. So, you know, I had, I've said this, in fact, to previous psychologists about, can you give me the framework? Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. can you give me the how this works and what inputs i have to give or what's expected of me in this outcome um or this journey um you know or, or even a bit of the theory right mm-hmm. um i think that also not only creates a safe space but it gives you an understanding of um kind of demystifies because it yes. feels like you're talking to a psychologist sometimes you go oh, i'm talking to this person who's just like <laughs> kind of a little bit judgy but knows everything about my brain and, and predict <laughs> like expects what i'm gonna say yeah. and like oh you're one of, you're one of those you know <laughs> introspective mopey people and you know like you just <laughs> when the conversation is is, is useful and, and good is that um there's kind of a shared context yes 
um, as opposed to someone just walking in and go, tell me what's wrong. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And just starts listening. Someone says, okay. And they intentionally make a pause and say, okay, like the way I think about this, my school of thought, because every South, like every psychologist and mental health professional has a slightly different take, right? They yeah, have yeah. Certain theories they prefer, methodology they like. And so I, I'd like to be explained that. So I understand what that is. And that's a mm. safe space. And I, I'm, I'm cognizant of what this is. And I know the kind of the rules of engagement, what the frameworks are or the principles are. And I think that that is an underserved idea into the psycholo- psychology and psychological therapy in the delivery mechanism by communicating to people, especially people from diverse backgrounds. Yes. Um, and they, they want to understand like the why and the context and know that that context um, applies to them. And that context has been developed with a consideration of people mm-hmm. from diverse backgrounds. Because like, you know, and you would probably be um, very much an advocate for this, Um <laughs> You know, many of these systems are premised on research or on modes of operating that are either old or based on certain like aggregate groups. Um, and the question that people from diverse backgrounds ask is like, well, was that based on people from my culture mm. or my background or, you know, diversity or Asian people, for example, mm. um, were they taken into account? And and so to um, on one hand, there's like human psychology and how brains work and that is irrespective. But on the other hand, there's the cultural dimension, which is the context we live in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love knowing that, okay, this is about the psychology aspect of it and uh, brains and dimensions. But also there is someone who can explain how that thinking pattern or that process plays out or works and operates in my context. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there's an engagement that will be mm-hmm. happening that will take into account the broader psychological principles particularized to my cultural context. Definitely. I love that reflection on how important it is to diminish that power dynamic and really show your cards as a mental health professional because it's it's so odd to suggest for someone to like come in and be completely vulnerable and be very open with their story. Mm. You're holding all this secret information about like, oh, I, I'm going to fix you, but you, you're not going to know how. Um, and it's yes. really disempowering. Oh, I I really resonate with that. I'm going to ask you um, one last question that's also kind of big. So say someone's from a multicultural background um, Mm. and they're sort of having struggles with any part of their mental health well-being. What is Mm. something that you would tell them to go do or some piece of advice that you could give them? Gosh, there's a lot, actually. (laughs) I try to narrow it down to one or two pieces of advice. Um, I think it is to say to them that uh, you may not be able to get help uh, from the sources where you're used to getting help and that's okay. Mm. Um, and that it's worth reaching out to different places or different people. Um, and that whatever stigma might be attached to doing that, um, is just requires that small amount of bravery Mm. and vulnerability to go out there and just try something else. And, if you're finding that you're in a mental health thing and your problems or issues are with your community, then seek mm-hmm. help outside of your community. And that's okay. Um, you know, there are people mm-hmm. out there that can give you that distance and that perspective that you might need who are, you know, sensitive to the cultural context and can, and can get it. Um, equally, if you want to speak to someone who's wholly based within your context, um, do that. There are people that can support you. It really the essential message is that you're not alone. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people out there who have experienced my, myself personally. Um, many, many, many other people who I've spoken to have understood what it means to be 
um, in a multicultural context and experiencing mental health challenges, and that it's okay not to know what to do. Mm. If you take away one thing, it is to try. Go out and try something to help yourself. Absolutely. I think that's such a strong message to send that even though as multicultural people and people with lived experience of mental health challenges, we face adversity after adversity, mm. we have to keep trying and there will always be a way mm. and it might just take some time to get there, but it's always worth it in the end. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. I was wondering... Um, sure. If people want to continue these conversations with you, what's the best way that they could get in touch? I'm on LinkedIn a fair bit. Um, so you can reach out to me there and look up that way. Um, I write on Saudi Collective. Um, so Saudi Collective's website is S-A-A-R-I collective.com.au. Um, and we're there and we're on all the social media channels as well. Um, and lastly, I'm also on the board of an organization called Indian Care. Mm. And Indian Care is based in Victoria, and it's an organization that um, supports the social welfare of the Indian community in Victoria. So mm. if you're struggling and you need a referral or you need someone from a cultural context um, that can help you like from a social work perspective, so Indian Care has a referral service mm. um, that you can call up and, and, and get referred to other people. So their website is just indiancare.org.au. Thank you so much for your time today. Sure. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I can't wait to continue having these conversations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Multicultural Minds, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness of multicultural mental health. If you want to find out more about us, please visit our website at www.multiculturalminds.org. Thank you so much again for being here with us and listening to voices that are often not heard.